Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Corinne Nidja podcast, where I share people's incredible stories of recovery from chronic diseases such as heart disease, type 2 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, and many, many others after people made the switch to a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. This week has been my birthday week and I really enjoyed doing so many things I couldn't or wouldn't have done this time in my early 20s when I was eating the standard Australian diet and living with regular multiple sclerosis relapses, in chronic pain from fibromyalgia, exhausted and stuck in an obese, uncomfortable body. This time on my birthday, I went berry picking with my family. I went for an amazing bike ride along the Yarra Trail here in the... Yarra Valley, and it was just perfect. And I went for a bike ride, bike ride and a run, and it was just everything to me to be able to move my body like that, to be able to be outdoors, to not be tired, to not feel heavy and uncomfortable, and just to feel alive. I know that that sounds obvious, <laughs> I guess, but to me, I didn't feel alive for so many years. So it was just a great birthday. It didn't involve any gifts or elaborate presents or those kinds of things. It was just a simple, wonderful time out with my family and yeah, I loved every minute of it. So I'm so grateful to the work that I've done over the last 10 years to get to this place where I feel so good. If you haven't yet joined me in my Facebook group, it is called Plant-Based and Thriving. I'll put the link in the show notes. I put out new episodes of this podcast twice a week, so they're in the group as well to keep you inspired and motivated to continue on your own whole food plant-based journey. And I'm hoping that the two days a week will keep you covered to make it through the weekend. I know, I know that weekends are some of the hardest times when you're trying to go whole food plant-based or commit to a whole food plant-based journey. So that's why there's a two episodes there. One's Monday, Tuesday. One is Thursday, Friday, depending where you are in the world, of course. So check that out. As I said, the link is in the show notes. If you'd like more intensive support in achieving your personal health goals, you can try out my 28-day conscious eating program or work with me one-on-one -on -one in my six-month intensive program where we commit to fortnightly catch-ups, via Skype or a Zoom, and we just work together on helping you transform your, your own health, mind, body, and soul. So whatever that looks like for you, wherever you are on your health journey, we kind of just start at the beginning and map out what the six months is going to look like and what you'd like to accomplish within the six months. And then we just check in every fortnight, what's new and good, how are things going, how are you eating, what can we tweak, where can things be improved. Maybe you've met, you've met a goal, so celebrating that goal and then moving on to the next one. And just in a sustainable, nurturing, non-judgmental, non-bullying kind of environment, I just want a space that's really loving because this way, like changing your life isn't linear, as I always say. It's a slow process for many of us. Some of us can do it overnight, but that's more in the few rather than in the majority. So I love the work that I'm doing. And as I said, if you've been following me for a long time, it kind of happened by accident. People just started asking me to support them on their health journey after seeing the results that I've achieved. And as a social worker and teacher in my background, it helping people and supporting people, especially in something that can be so transformative as 
diet, making diet and lifestyle changes is is has become you know the, what I live and breathe every day. So it's something that I really am passionate about, and I'm really looking forward to continuing this work in 2019. The book will be coming out at some stage. Keep your eyes posted if you haven't yet subscribed to my newsletter. Subscribe because then you get updates on where the book's at, what's happening with that. And I'm going to be launching a six-week course, online kind of mind-body-soul program that's coming out um, early in 2019, which I'm really excited about because it just means I can work with more people because working one-on-one means I only get to work with a very small amount of people at a time. So this way I get to help more people all at once in a way that I really love and I'm really excited about. So I can't wait for that. As I said, sign up to the newsletter and you get updates on when that's going to be coming out. And if you have any questions, just message me or things you'd like me to cover in the course that you'd like support with specifically, that would be wonderful. I'd love to hear from you. Message me or email me over at the contact part of my website at corinneninja.com, C-O-R-I-N-N-E-N-I-J-J-E-R.com forward slash contact. And on that website as well is information about the six-month program and the 28-day conscious eating program as well. I'm just so excited. And I've loved all the work I've done with all of my beautiful clients this year as we're heading into this. We've only got two episodes, I think, left of the podcast for 2018. So I'm wishing you all a very Merry Christmas. And I'm so excited about what the year ahead is going to look like for all of you. So Merry Christmas if you're listening to this in real time for 2018. And Happy New Year. What's what's to come? Have you written down all the things you'd like to accomplish and where you'd like 2019 to take you? I find that writing down a list and writing down and setting really meaningful, purposeful intentions helps me to accomplish things I want to accomplish and head towards the goals that I want to head towards, whether it's physical health or fitness goals or diet and exercise goals, weight loss goals career goals, whatever it is. I like to list them all. Garden goals, household goals, family goals, whatever, parenting, whatever it is. uh, I find that writing it down, getting it out of my head onto paper and then going through it all and saying, you know, what's realistic and where can I make tweaks? What can I do soon? What, where in the timeline can everything fit over the course of the year? And just mapping it out and reverse engineering it so that I do accomplish those goals. Uh, is a great way to head into the new year with a clear mind and direction. So I love doing that. So I hope that you're all getting that done in the next week before the new year begins. Okay, so before we get started on the latest guest, I just wanted to say thank you to, I'm thinking this is Michael Fields, but the name is Titus 3 and it was written on 24th of June 2018 in the Apple podcast review section. So it says, so honest and inspiring. Five stars. I love this podcast. Corinne comes across and as a down-to-earth friend as she chats to vegan success stories, those who have regained their health through diet. She also speaks to plant-based doctors who give tips and encouragement to live a better life. Thank you, Corinne, for this podcast. You're so welcome, Michael, or I hope it's Michael, or Titus 3. I am... I love your name, your username, because my husband loves Doctor Who and I've become a little fan as well after being with him for so many years. So I love that it's TARDIS 3. I'm so glad that you're listening and enjoying the show. And the next one I wanted to read out was from 23rd of July, 2018, Josie Russo. She writes, when life gives you lemons, go vegan, five stars. (laughs) 
That was the old name of the podcast if you're just listening now. Thank you for sharing so many inspirational stories. Corinne's relaxed and frank approach filters through to her guest speakers. Well worth listening to. Thank you so much, Josie. I loved getting that review from you. It means the world to me. For everyone who writes reviews over at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher app or who's supporting the podcast in any way, whether they're sharing the podcast on Spotify with their family and friends or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher app for Android phones or whether they're writing reviews on my Facebook page or sending me personal messages. I love hearing from all of you. I love to write back to you to hear from you. If I don't get back to you, please know that I'm on my way. I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can. The kids probably have just walked in and I have have put my phone down or whatever. So thank you. Thank you all of you for reading, supporting, sharing these stories with your family and friends on social media and online and and making it so this podcast reaches more people in the search rankings. The more people who hear these stories, the more people who can take control of their health and feel as good as myself and the guests on my show do. Now, people often say, what about the people who this diet doesn't work for? What about those people? And the thing is, for most people, even if it doesn't do accomplish the thing that you're hoping to accomplish in the short term or even the long term, it has other, so many other positive benefits. You might not, you know, you might not heal your eczema straight away or your asthma straight away, but you might overcome constipation or increase your energy. You might sleep better. You might feel better. You might have more energy, sorry, you might have more energy for exercise. You will be reducing your carbon footprint, your greenhouse gas emissions. You'll be Decreasing the amount of animals that are sentenced to death every year in the animal agricultural industry. You're doing so much. So even I always say that even if this way of eating didn't help me reduce the symptoms of multiple sclerosis that I was living with for four years plus, it did so many other amazing things to my to my spirit, to my soul. You know, to how I view the world. It changed my whole life. So even if it it, it there are so many factors that impact on disease, which we, we hear over and over again, stress, sleep, exercise. A small part is genetics. There's so many different things that can factor the things we put on our bodies, you know, the products that we're using, our exposure to toxins, environmental and personal care products and all those kinds of things impact on us developing and maintaining disease within our bodies. Our gut microbiome, all of those things play a role. A whole food plant-based diet does a whole heap for a lot of people and it has a whole, a whole host of other unplanned side effects. Side effects like yeah, reducing your greenhouse gas emissions, reducing your carbon footprint, you, you know, decreasing the need for deforestation and helping with prevent global oceanic dead zones. You know, so many different things. And, and also it's just kinder to the animals and and not putting that suffering and torture into your body is a great thing in itself. There are so many benefits to your health, to your family's health, to to your gut microbiome in the long term, to your energy, to your vitality, to your disease prevention. So maybe it isn't helping initially. It doesn't seem like it's helping with this disease that you're hoping that it's going to help. But maybe it's helping prevent others. Most guests on my show said so they had multiple chronic diseases, chronic illnesses. So perhaps you're helping to prevent, you know, down the track, cancers, Alzheimer's, heart disease, all type 2 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis. You don't know what's happening in your body that 
that is good right now. You know, there's so much good that happens with a whole food plant-based diet that even if it doesn't quite, isn't quite working on the thing that you're wanting it to work on right now, it doesn't say it's not going to change, things aren't going to change and maybe you need to work with a gut engineer like Natalie Woodman and you can find her on nataliewoodman.com who can help you with your microbiome, all the heavy metals in your body, all those things impact on our health. So don't give up and try and focus on all the other areas where it's working really well, where it's helping the planet, the animals, where it's helping you prevent further chronic diseases. You know, there are so many positives. The worst that can happen is that you kind of feel like you're staying, you're treading water. But I, but for most people, that just isn't the case. Even people who say that they, it hasn't reversed or immediately reversed their chronic disease, it's done other positive things and they're worth celebrating. So focus on those things and try and tweak and see what you can do if you need to remove more oil from your diet, or if you're having too many cheat days, if you need to work with someone on your gut microbiome, if you need to exercise more, meditate more, do, be, do more, be more mindful. Just keep moving forward. And I'm sorry if it feels like it's hard because it isn't, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard. And it can be difficult for lots of people when you're in that phase of being very unwell. It wasn't easy for me and it wasn't easy for most of the guests. And as a guest that's coming up in about two episodes time, will say, you know, he was white knuckling it for so long. Like it wasn't just a walk in the park for any of us, um, it was always a struggle and it wasn't always that we felt incredible all the time. You know, today I, I ate unwashed greens and I got food poisoning. <laughs> and my husband keeps saying, why do you keep doing that? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just trust the greens in my garden and I didn't think that the animals were pooping on them, but it turns out they are. So we all have challenges and setbacks is what I'm trying to say. Keep moving forward one foot at a time, thinking about and celebrating the wins because there are so many wins. Now, all right, I'm very, very excited. This week I was so lucky, this episode, so lucky to sit down with the amazing Dr. Michael Clapper, who I was so lucky to meet last year at the wonderful Lucy Stegley from Raw Events Nutrition in Healthcare Symposium, where he spoke and I shared my multiple sclerosis recovery story. And we went to a Raw Food for Life, beautiful lunch hosted by Stuart and Natalie McIntosh. Actually, I'm sorry, Natalie, Stuart and McIntosh and Jamar. And it was just wonderful. And I've been waiting and super excited to have him come on the show and for you all to hear all of the wonderful things that he has to say. Now, he said so much more at the symposium, obviously, because he had more time, but it was incredible. And if you are in Melbourne in February, Lucy Stegley and Dr. Helene Rocks have now joined forces to form Doctors for Nutrition, a not-for-profit organisation, and they are hosting the Australian Nutrition in Healthcare conference. It's a three-day conference here in Melbourne and Dr. Neil Barnard is going to be there and a heaps of other incredible nutritionists, doctors, experts in plant-based eating. It's three days. There's tickets still to come. I'll be there. I would love to see you all there. So don't wait. Get out there. Early Christmas present or very last minute Christmas present for yourself if you're listening to this at the right time or just a 2019 guest gift for yourself. Go out there, get your three days ticket. They can get individual days or two days and then a half day. You can 
join one day or all three days or whatever it is. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited. I've got Elizabeth and Tony Boucher from Foodies Medicine. I'm going to hang out with them. I'm very excited to see Lucy and um, meet Dr. Neil Barnard and everyone else who I absolutely love. And I'm super excited as you can tell, I'm very excited. I hope to see you all there. Get your tickets over at the link in the show notes, which I will put in now. So go over to the show notes, click on the link, get your tickets. It's going to be fantastic. Can't wait. So Dr. Michael Clapper is on today's episode and he is an incredible man and doctor and probably one of the most lovely people that you'll ever hear or meet in your lifetime. He has been working as a lifestyle. Well, he went from being an anesthesiologist to a lifestyle medicine practitioner, GP, and he's been working in that area since 1981 until today, helping people lose weight sustainably and overcome chronic diseases with the help of a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. He recently retired from the amazing True North Clinic, and in this episode we talk about Dr. Clapper's work and the work he's doing now and all of the burning questions our family members and friends tend to have for us when we tell them we're adopting a low-fat whole food plant-based diet, such as what about B12? When we, where will you get your protein? What about iron? But the keto diet is supposed to be the best diet out there. Don't our bones need calcium from dairy? What about vitamin K2? Isn't it dangerous to raise your child as a vegan? So many of those, and it's just his answers are fantastic. So if you have ever been asked those questions, this episode is for you. I've been asked all of them and more. He also gave his three top tips, which are not to be missed, so make sure you listen all the way to the end. Dr. Clapper is currently committed to educating medical students across the America and hopefully the world on the healing benefits of a whole food plant-based diet through his new project, Moving Medicine Forward, in collaboration with Plant Pure Communities. So you can check that out in the link that's in the show notes as well to find out more about his work. You can also find out more about it if you head to www.drclapper, so that's drdoctorclapercom forward slash moving dash medicine dash forward. And also you can follow Dr. Clapper at Michael Clapper MD on social media, Facebook, all of that. And thank you so much, Dr. Clapper, for coming on the show and chatting with me. I absolutely loved meeting you again and talking and asking all of my questions. If you're looking to hear more information about the healing power of plant-based of a plant-based diet, obviously check out Dr. Michael Clapper on social media and at his website, www.drclapper.com. And if you're in Australia, definitely get your tickets to the Australasian Nutrition in Healthcare Conference in February. It's going to be so fun and I can't wait to see you all there. So I hope you enjoy this episode and let me know what you think in the comments or over at the comment section of the show notes. I would love to hear from you and thank you again for all your support. Bye. Merry Christmas. Bye. Well, hello, Dr. Clapper, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I'm so grateful to have you on the show today. 
Thank you. It is a delight and an honor to be here. You're doing very important work to getting very important information out to your listeners. So glad to be part of that. Oh, that's so wonderful. Um, obviously, I know Elizabeth will be listening to me, Elizabeth and Tony Voucher, and they'll be knowing that I'm as, as excited as me to have you on the show because we're Dr. Claffer fans, longtime fans. <laughs> Yes. So I I guess for people who don't know, I've given you a little bit of an introduction, but if you could talk about your, your, your work and what you've, your career has been about for anyone who hasn't heard of you already, which they all should have, go check him out on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Well, I received a standard Western medical education at the University of Illinois College of Medicine in Chicago. And for the first 10 years of my medical career, I was practicing regular blood and guts medicine in emergency rooms and operating rooms. I had postgraduate training in internal medicine and surgery and anesthesia. And I was uh, doing a lot of acute care medicine. Uh, About 10 years into my medical career in the early 1980s, a number of events happened. Uh, that made me adopt a plant-based diet from what I was seeing both in the operating room and some personal experiences that I had had. I adopted a plant-based diet. Uh, My body loved it. A 20-pound spare tire of fat melted off my waist in about 12 weeks. My high blood pressure went to normal. My high cholesterol went to normal. I felt great waking up in a nice, lean, light body. And uh, I realized I didn't want to be an anesthesiologist anymore and put people to sleep all day. I wanted to go back to general practice and help them wake up. So I did. And I left anesthesia, much to my parents' dismay, and went back to general practice. But I started practicing nutritionally-based medicine and and found a friend uh, who did plant-based cooking lessons. And I would send my patients to her and they would change their diet. And lo and behold... The same wonderful things happen to their bodies when you run a whole food plant-based diet through our system like we're meant to run on. The obesity melts away and the arteries open up and the high blood pressure goes down and the insulin receptors open up. The diabetes goes away and the joints stop hurting and the asthmatic lungs stop wheezing and the migraine headaches go away and the psoriatic skin clears up. And they turn back into normal healthy people with normal blood pressure and normal blood sugars that that don't need a lot of pills and potions and it's the most wonderful kind of medicine to practice i'm the happiest doctor i know my my patients get healthy right in front of my eyes or in front of both our eyes so it's uh, really a a beautiful type of medicine that uh, lifestyle medicine focused on a plant-based diet uh, consists of i've been doing that for the past 35 years Uh, i started in 1981 and uh, for the past eight years, I've been working at True North uh, Health Center in Santa Rosa, California, about an hour north of San Francisco. And for eight years, uh, did applied nutritional medicine, and people would come in with the usual diseases, and we get them on a healthy plant-based diet, and all these wonderful changes happen. And we teach a lot of interns that would rotate through the clinic. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. Still works, uh, still does good work there. Uh, after eight years uh, there, I uh, struck out on my own last year uh, because I realized as much fun as it is to help people get over their diabetes and high blood pressure, um, there's a bigger, more 
important calling for me, and that is to educate the doctors of tomorrow because it's embarrassing that, that physicians don't know anything about nutrition. And, and it's appalling because that's why the patient is sitting in front of you, doctor, with clogged arteries and high blood pressure and diabetes and obesity from what they're eating. The Western diet's gotten so toxic with all the meat and the dairy and the oils and the sugars and the processed foods. And, and no wonder it clogs us up and makes us inflamed. But again, the beauty of it is they, you put them on a whole food, plant-based diet, lots of soups and salads and greens and fruits and vegetables and lentil stews and bean chilies and mangoes and papayas, and, and the magic happens. And physicians need to know this. They need to stop resisting it, and they need to share it with our patients. And so I've been going around to the medical schools and talking to the first, second, third year medical students, telling them that, listen, your professors aren't going to tell you this, your textbooks aren't going to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you because I've been doing this for the past 35 years. These diseases go away. These are curable diseases, the diabetes and the high blood pressure. <clears throat> I didn't go into medicine to manage chronic diseases. I went in to cure people. And diabetes, just type 2 diabetes, is curable. High blood pressure, curable. I, uh, Inflammatory arthritis curable. The majority of these are certainly make them much better. But again, it starts with what we're eating. So, I've uh, devoted the rest of my career to um, to help uh, being a, a, a nutritional Paul Revere. I don't know if that makes much sense in Australia, <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, to go around and uh, to wait. I, I start my lectures saying, "Listen, I'm going to give you the lecture I wish someone had given me 50 years ago." There, listen, you're not going to be seeing smallpox and typhoid fever, it's what your patients are eating. And uh, start with that before you order another $1,000 scan. Stop and ask your patients what they had to eat yesterday. <laughs> uh, and that's where the answer is. Start with that. And um, so, so it's an interesting uh, chapter in my career these days. So that's, that's a rough thumbnail of what I've been doing. Wow, that is incredible. And I, I, you know, I, I met you when you were still working at True North and, and that's when I started to learn about your career and what you were doing. And I listened to you speak at the Nutrition and Medicine Symposium last November. I'm pretty sure it feels like time's flown. I might be missing a year, but I think it was last November. And your talk was my dad was in the audience and anyone who's listened to this show will know that my dad has prostate cancer and he was in the audience, in your audience, not sitting with me, but I listened to you speak and you were talking about moderation in that lecture. My dad's like many, many people, a huge proponent of moderation. So he always says to me, I eat pretty well, duck. He calls me duck. I eat pretty well, duck. You know, I'm, I don't eat as bad as my friends, you know, all these things. But he's got prostate cancer and he's still, you know, he's had treatment, but he's in waiting to get results from his last his round of radiation that he had, hoping that it's positive, obviously. And we, I love him very much and I want the best for him. But I would love for you, if you could, even though I'd love to hear more about what you're doing, I will we'll cover that as well, but I'd love for you because the two things I wanted to talk to you about today was the things that we lack on a plant-based diet as far as supplements for people who are worried about that, your medical opinion about that, and also your view on moderation because your answer, because I put my hand up and I said, I looked at my dad and I said, so what do you think, Dr. Clapper, about having a little, <laughs> a little, bit, of, a little bit of meat, eggs, dairy, because my dad has a a little bit of these things. And your response was 
so great. And I thought, I really want you to say that to the guests, to everyone listening on the show. Your moderation story is really great. So I'd love for you to share it. Well, the reality is, uh, I mean, would you want moderate amounts of arsenic? You know, the, the, we use moderation as a rationale for, for inflicting harm upon our bodies. It depends how much harm we think we want to get away with. Uh, but we don't get away with it. Um, the, your body doesn't care. Uh, your body doesn't care about excuses. It doesn't care about moderation. Uh, it just wants to know what's in the bloodstream. Because whatever we eat, within minutes, molecules of that food are flowing through every cell in your body where your DNA lies unfolded. And your food molecules from the bacon and eggs and the meat and the dairy, all this stuff washes over your cells. And they play your DNA like a piano. The, the, these molecules turn genes on, they turn genes off. Every, every food changes us on a genetic molecular level. The science is called nutrigenomics. It's how our food turns our genes on and off. And your body has a little, little moderate amount of what? Of something to turn a pro-cancer gene on? How you want to turn that on just a little bit? How about a moderate amount? of pro-cancer activity. Um, when we eat meat, the liver responds by putting out a gush of hormone called insulin-like growth factor 1, IGF-1. This is the most powerful growth-promoting hormone the body can generate. And, and a high meat diet makes your liver put out lots of IGF-1. And if you're a man with a prostate cancer, this is like throwing gasoline on a fire. You want to do it just moderate, a moderate amount of, of cancer accelerator? Uh, at what point does it become, you know, patently, you know, self-defeating? And the same thing, you know, women with breast lumps eating dairy, etc. And like uh, the diabetics, uh, like Dr. Gregor says, you know, moderate, you want moderate diabetes. You want moderate amputations? How about just, how about just a couple of toes instead of the whole foot? You know, just just moderate. Yeah. Your body, you know, it laughs at our rationalization. It laughs at the at the, the moderation uh, idea. You want to get yourself healthier, don't you? Every meal matters. Every mouthful matters. Your genes just care about what is washing through them in the in the food you just ate. What's in the blood now? That's all that matters. It does moderation, moderation. If you've got a cancer going in your body, you want every thing you eat to turn off the cancer-promoting genes, turn on the cell-stabilizing genes. <clears throat> when Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food, you know, the first part makes sense. Let food be thy medicine. Oh, of course, yes, that's beautiful, wonderful. But that second one never seemed to make sense. And medicine be thy food. You know, the, what is he really saying? You know, take a bottle of pills and you know, we're eating that? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying, especially for people like your dad, people who really already have an established disease, at that point, every good piece of food is medicine. Ooh, that salad, ooh, that's medicine for, for my prostate. Ooh, that, that, help, that broccoli over there, ooh, that's medicine for me. Um, oh, that bowl of vegetable soup, that's medicine for me. Let medicine be your food. Let, let everything that comes into your body heal that thing in need of healing. And 
and and especially with someone like like your dad there, um, you want these stabilizing anti-cancer foods washing through your tissues, and and every uh, every every bite matters. Your body, people die of their rationalization. They die of their excuses. Your body doesn't care. Body just wants to know what's in your bloodstream. And if you're serious about being healthy, then make every mouthful count. Bring, uh, make it a bring a load of of health enhancing molecules to your tissues. So that's my take on moderation, moderate self-poisoning. I love it. That's what you said to to dad. Pretty much exactly word for word. But I love when you said doing us moderate amputation. I was just like, right. <laughs> <laughs> and he was looking at me laughing. I was just <laughs> that annoying daughter yeah. who's always nagging him. <laughs> I obviously loves him very much. That's really I do love him very much. So for people who I know that most people who are listening are already well accepting of this lifestyle but there's new people who come and listen and they have their own concerns about things like b12 iron protein and my husband even recently was very concerned about k2 and Mm -hmm. i said to him look i've got michael clapper on the show i'm going to because he said our kids don't eat nato and it's in nato for vegans Mm -hmm. that japanese fermented bean that tastes not very nice and so he said he said, well, what are we? and I said, I think it, our guts make it, but I'm not 100% sure I'll, I'll ask Dr. Dr. Clapper. Okay, fair enough. All right, um, so do you want to do the B12 and the iron along the way to the K2? Sure, sure, want, perfect, uh, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, vitamin B12 is the only uh, substance that we really need to supplement. And it's again, it's not necessarily because our diet is deficient. Um, the... Uh, animals, the deer and the antelope and the and the uh, uh, kangaroos and the wombats get their B12 um, from from the earth. Uh, it's in it's in made by bacteria that live in the soil, and as they pull up roots and tubers and pull up grasses that have clumps of soil cling to the roots, those are where the B12 producing microbes are. And the animal swallows them. The B12 is made in their guts, that's absorbed into their muscles. Yay! I, that's where they get their B12. We used to get it the same place. Uh, our ancient Aboriginal ancestors uh, spent uh, their days foraging, and they would pull up roots and tubers and starchy corms, and and that's where most calories came from. And uh, they weren't washing their their vegetables under chlorinated drinking water like we do now, and so they would get their B12 that way when they. Uh, uh, found the nearest stream, they'd plop down and drink the stream water. It'd be B12 in the stream water. So when we were living earth-connected lives, the vitamin B12 was flowing through our guts just like it is the, the, the wild animals. But welcome to the 21st century. Nobody's drinking out of streams. Nobody's eating unwashed vegetables. And for, for that reason, because of modern sanitation, the natural B12 sources in our diet have, have been eliminated, which is fine with me. I don't want to be treating cases of typhoid fever and cholera. That's okay that they're chlorinated in the drinking water, but it did cost us our natural B12 supplies. And for that reason, uh, anyone who's eating a purely plant-based diet uh, really does need to make sure they have they find something with some uh, vitamin B12 in it uh, in a supplemental form, whether it's actually a liquid or a drop or a tablet. Uh, or added to a veggie burger, added to soy milk, or however you want to get it in. I don't care, but uh, 100 to 500 micrograms of B12 once or twice a week is really all anybody needs, and that should cover your needs. Um, the uh, iron, 
boy, that's really uh, turned did a dipsy do. Uh, we were very concerned that oh, you vegetarians aren't getting that red meat iron. Uh, you're going to be iron deficient. And and I remember back in the eighties was the concern. Turned out that we were looking at the, the wrong end of the telescope. It's turning out that uh, that heme iron uh, that the meat eaters are so happy to get is not a good thing. Uh, the the non-heme iron, the iron that's in plants, uh, our body is able to, uh, the intestinal tract is able to regulate how much iron it lets in. And because you don't want iron overload, too much iron will, is an oxidizing agent and it damages your arteries. And the body wants to make sure it can, it can not absorb too much iron. And that's the beauty of plant-based iron. The problem is with when you're eating animal flesh and there's iron in the form of hemoglobin in the animal's uh, meat, in the animal's blood really, um, that uh, heme, the heme iron, the, the iron that's wrapped up in the heme molecule as part of hemoglobin, that leaps into the bloodstream. The body is unable to hold heme iron out. It all gets absorbed. And so these macho guys who are eating their red meat steaks, meanwhile, are setting themselves up for iron overload. And this is one of the things that damages the arteries that accelerates the atherosclerotic process that leads to heart attacks and strokes and impotence, ironically. It clogs the penile arteries so they can't get erection. And so ironically, they think they're doing the he-man thing by eating all this red meat. But the truth is uh, that too much heme iron is coming into the bloodstream. It's actually damaging them. And uh, another reason why the, uh, why the vegans have better sex lives. I actually, just, just to chime in, I don't think I was I interviewed Amanda Fisher she's like a bodybuilding amazing she had rheumatoid arthritis and that was the very first time I had learned that you could have too much iron and her husband had too much iron and I think a lot I think that it's really important that you mention it because people don't get it people don't get that and I didn't and everyone's saying you know eat, you need the red the red meat iron you need to eat the steak to get this heme iron it's so important for you but like you said that the ripple effect of the consequences of that form of iron just to get back to the impotence part I don't think men are getting it until it's too late and they're like well this is just what my 60s and 50s are going to look like and 70s, 80s, 90s, I'm not going to have a, a sex life. Yeah. Without without considering that it's what we put into our mouths, just thinking this is just part of the aging process. Exactly. And it's not. That's a sign of vascular disease, guys. That's a sign of your arteries clogging up. And the small arteries clog up faster and the penile arteries are really small and they clog up faster. But if it's happening down there, it's happening everywhere, gentlemen. It's happening in the coronary arteries in your heart, it's happening in the carotid arteries going up to your brain, it's happening in the renal arteries to your kidneys. It's a total body disease, uh, and it, you need more than Cialis or Viagra. You need to change your diet and open up your arteries because you're headed for a stroke, and uh, that doesn't do great things for your love life, I'll tell you, uh, having a big old heart attack or a stroke. So, uh, no, this, this is serious business, the uh, heme iron overload. Uh, we, um, young women of reproductive age, they, you know, you folks are losing iron every month in the menstrual flow. That protects you a little bit. But us guys, 
uh, and postmenopausal women, we can't get rid of this iron. And, uh, and we take, in, take those stakes in, and the iron stays and causes oxidative damage. You see how your car body rusts uh, when iron oxidizes. Well, you don't want that happening in the walls of your arteries. It really is a damaging process. So, um, so you know, enough of the iron. Get your iron out of well, – we had a character, Popeye the Sailor Man, um, in America. I don't know if you had yeah, him. Yeah, we uh, had him uh, here too. Yeah, right. Well, what did Popeye do? He took – he had a can of spinach – and he would open up the can of spinach, and he would eat it, and dun, 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 and he would get his strength there from the iron in the spinach. Yes. made hemoglobin. Yay! Plant-based iron. Yeah. Popeye had a fight. Yeah, that was really f- progressive for its time. It was absolutely. Whether they knew the physiology behind it, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so get it from green strokes and. Uh, we haven't gotten to K2, but go ahead. Sorry. So for people who don't, like I have, I have trouble because I was breastfeeding and pregnant and then mm-hmm. I, had, I had a decline in my iron. Yes, um, a, a, well a big decline in my iron for a, a little while. Last year I had to have an infusion. And for women, I, the more I talk to women, they say, you know, they have a difficulty in this baby time, like I, yes. around this baby time to keep their iron up. What would you recommend that we do, we do to make sure we're getting enough and, keep, and keeping it and absorbing it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, so uh, you absolutely touched on the one area where a little special attention is needed. And, yeah, someone who's had a baby, uh, you know, who's losing iron anyway during uh, menstrual flows and then has a baby, that, that's going to draw down on your iron stores. And, yes, you certainly may wind up with a low-grade anemia. So how do you repair that? Uh, not hard at all. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, you got to eat the foods that contain the iron, uh, and then you've got to absorb that. Um, so let's talk about uh, both of those. One, the foods that contain the iron. Uh, there's two, three major uh, areas there. One, dark green leafy vegetables, a la Popeye there. So every day you want at least one, but preferably two or three, like Dr. Esselstyn, helpings of, of kale, chard, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, uh, soy, uh, any anything dark and green is going to have iron in it. Um, the second, and, um, uh, and very important, especially if you're not trying to lose weight, but um, dried, uh, a number of dried fruits are very rich in iron, dried apricots, dried prunes, dried figs, uh, and to soak three or four uh, um, figs or prunes up uh, in the morning, plop them into a bowl of fresh water, let them soak all day. And uh, by evening time, they're all plump and juicy and sweet and have them for your dessert at, at uh, dinner time. And, um, and day after day after day, uh, you're, you'll get a good 10, 15 milligrams of iron through, through dried fruits, a handful of raisins, nuts also, a handful of uh, walnuts, um, uh, almonds are also a decent source of iron. So the dark leafy greens, the, the dried fruits and the nuts, um, you'll certainly get a sufficient amount of iron in. Now, as you also implied, the old saying, you know, you are what you eat, really isn't true. You are what you absorb. you got to get that iron from the food, from the walnut or from the spinach into the bloodstream. Uh, now, and it's not an easy, uh, mineral to absorb about 1% of the iron you eat actually gets absorbed, but you can increase the absorption with the addition of vitamin C. 
Does that mean taking a vitamin C tablet with dinner? No, it means if you have a big helping of broccoli or kale in front of you, squeeze some lemon juice over it, and the vitamin C in the lemon juice will increase the absorption of the iron. If you're going to be making a spinach salad, throw some mandarin orange slices in there. Get that citrus and greens combination going, and the, and the vitamin C in the citrus will help you absorb more of the iron in the uh, in the dark leafy greens and uh, so if you're eating your figs at night have a have a piece slice of navel orange along with it uh, again to increase the absorption so if you do that um, you'll you'll pull out of the uh, the iron deficiency slump there um, we have um, products in um, in the states one of them is called Floridex, and it's basically it's a thick dark syrup that is made of of crushed uh, apricots and prunes and raisins and figs, and uh, and a couple of spoonfuls of that every day for, as an iron supplement. Uh, that, that, yeah, for a, if a woman goes to a bottle or two of that, she'll also quickly build up her iron stores. So there's all sorts of ways to um, uh, to uh, increase your iron stores uh, during this special time of of childbearing, etc. But it's, it's, it's not a reason to give into Uncle Harry, you got to eat your red steak. See, I told you, you're going to wind up anemic. No, we just got to replace it from the plant kingdom. Exactly. And I think that that's something that I find difficult. Like just yes, yesterday, I stumbled across an Instagram account and it was hashtag X vegan. That's what it said. Uh, and yeah, it was right. a whole heap of people on there all saying that they were X vegans because being vegan made them sick and they wanted to be ripped bodybuilding Instagram people. And now that they're keto, they're feeling amazing. And I was just looking at them thinking, Mm-hmm. Surely, surely you'd, if you were vegan, that you would really look into ways to make it work for you. Because I don't believe that it works for everyone. I just think you have to figure out how to tweak it to work for you. So if you, I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit. Yes, thank you for that. Uh, to make a long story short, I'll invite your listeners to go to my website, drclapper.com, all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-L-A-P-E-R.com. Click on videos and see my video called Thriving on a Plant-Based Diet. And I talk about what it takes to really make it work, uh, pitfalls, uh, uh, supplements, all that kind of stuff. It should work for most everyone some folks may tra- have to transition. May if, if they are lifelong meat eaters, they may have a physical dependency on it. They may need to eat some uh, some animal flesh once a week for a few months as, as they're transitioning and slowly taper off of it. Um, there, you know, there are ways to do it properly. Uh, but I'll tell you, a keto diet, a meat-based diet, is a diet of death. And these folks may feel better temporarily, but it's a it's a recipe for giving yourself colon cancer, artery disease, heart attacks, strokes, autoimmune disease, colitis, diabetes. This is this is not a healthy diet. We are we have the same digestive system that our gorilla and bonobo cousins up in the trees have. We basically have a simian type of herbivorous burning digestive system and uh, every gorilla none of them uh, has, has problems with building muscle uh, they, they get enough protein it's in the plant foods um, these folks they they were doing something not right they were eating too much oil they, were eating, they weren't eating enough greens they were, there was something that, that wasn't working for them but they weren't doing it properly but I'll tell you the keto diet is not the place to go. Thank you for answering that. And I think that a lot of people, if you're coming over and you've never tried this or you're, 
You're curious and you found one random YouTuber who only eats dates. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, don't just stop there that they're the end and now your diet, their diet's not working for you. Vegan doesn't work. Like keep looking. Find the, the books, you know, T. Colin Campbell, Dr. Esselstyn's work, Dr. Clapper's videos and speeches and lectures. There is so, like Dr. Gregor's book, How Not to Die. There are so many books that tell you how to make it a balanced life lifetime thing and look into gut health and all of those different things can impact upon absorption and for me the iron was depleted last year I felt so sick like I was carrying around a bag of anvils and I'd been breastfeeding or pregnant continuously for over seven years you know it's a lot on the body and that's not to say that everyone is breastfeeding and pregnant for over seven years but now I feel great and I didn't have to go back to eating meat and go on a keto diet to feel great I just had to go okay what am I doing how can I do this differently because it's not working well for me right now and add in tons more you know beans hummus vitamin c spinach greens smoothies things and now I feel good again it's just so it's not a reason to jump ship just because you're having a rough period. Just search out the answers and don't just stop because one YouTuber told you that it failed for them and they only ate Banana Island for a month and that was it. And then they, you know, like it's there's different ways to to do this and find the way that works for you. And there are so many people that it is working for. There's no reason to, to stop because you've hit a, a hurdle and go back to a diet that damages the planet, the animals and your body. Beautifully said. Well, that was that was excellent. That was an entire point there. Good for you. Uh, thank you. So now moving on to protein, because as these ex-vegans said, they weren't getting enough protein, Dr. Clapper, and they were fading away to a shadow and they couldn't get out of bed. So what? how can we get our protein as a vegan? Yeah, yeah and of course, they were getting more than enough protein. Protein is toxic in, in large amounts. It, it injures the kidneys. It drives cancer growth. It eat too much protein. These people were not feeling unwell because of protein deficiency. Um, they were Again, they were either eating flour products or sugar or oil or something that was, that was not making them feel good, but it wasn't protein deficiency. If you want extra protein um, – First of all, realize that the biggest animals on the planet, the most powerful elephants and buffaloes and giraffes and kangaroos and uh, the the, the gorillas, the most powerful animals in the world are vegan animals. They they build thousands of pounds of mammalian muscle on rice and beans and greens and fruits and vegetables. That's where the protein is. And if if you think, well, there are bulls and gorillas, they're supposed to be big. I invite all those folks to uh, fire up your web browser and type in three words, vegan bodybuilders, <laughs> and, and get images. I mean, click on images and watch who fills up your screen. You will see these magnificent men and women with these rippling muscles, and it's all done on plant, on rice and beans and greens, and a lot of sweat in the gym. Uh, relax, folks. And it's not protein, protein, protein will hurt you. It, it, it's injurious to the kidneys and the liver and the bones. It's, it's not a healthy way to eat. And if you want if you want some extra protein, then have an extra hummus sandwich, have an extra scoop of lentil stew, have an extra bowl of bean chili. There's plenty of protein around. Uh, I've never seen anybody in, in 45 years of medicine, I've never written the diagnosis, protein deficiency on any the clinical chart. It just doesn't happen in the West. Um, that's not the issues, folks. Um, the, the, uh, now the, 
the paleo folks do say some things that I agree with. They say no caveman ever milked a dairy cow, so they're down on dairy products. Yay, paleo, they're right. No paleo, no caveman ever squeezed the fat out of olives and poured oil on his food, though they're down on oils. Right on, paleo, they're right. And they say that no paleo guy ever ground wheat into flour and made donuts and cupcakes, so they're down on flour products. And yay, paleo, they're right. And if you cut out the, the oil and the dairy and the flour products out of your diet, man, you're going to get leaner and healthier. And so I agree with that. And that might be what those folks migrating to keto benefited from. They stopped the dairy. They stopped the oil. They stopped the, the flour products. And yay, they're going to feel better. But uh, it, it's, the, it's the animal flesh that they're putting in their body that's going to turn around and bite them, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and they're going to learn that one the hard way. I've already seen a cancer in a in a median a paleo lady, and I don't think it's going to be colon cancer, and I don't think it's going to be the last one. I mean, if the uh, if someone said, Doc, I want to create a colon cancer, how can I do that? Well, simple: pack your colon full of meat three times a day, and let that rub, let those carcinogens in the in the decomposing meat rub on your colon wall hour after hour, day after day. What do you think you're going to set off in there? This is a recipe for for colon cancers, and and it uh, inflames the gut lining. They're going to get colitis and Crohn's disease off of this. Uh, it injures the arteries. Um, all this animal flesh spawns microbes that puts out this molecule called TMAO that drives cholesterol into your artery wall. It's, it's not our diet. It's the diet of a mountain lion. You know, your house cat will never get clogged arteries because they've got a short little digestive system that moves this stuff out uh, of the body quickly. But we have the digestive system to digest plants, and you put uh, animal flesh in our, in our intestines, and it spawns diseases. No wonder we get inflamed. No wonder we get clogged up. No wonder we get diabetic. It's, it's, it's not our diet. We are not homo carnivorous. We are not the flesh-eating ape. Uh, no matter what the, the this current fads try and tell us, that's not who we are. Look at our fingers. Look at our flat, grinding teeth. We are herbivorous, burning creatures. What and about our huge canines, though, Doctor Claffer? <laughs> 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 and and I often hear that, but the truth is that. Uh, if you go in the mirror, you go in the kitchen, or you go in the bathroom, look in the mirror, um, open your mouth, you'll see that your canines are shorter than your central incisors. Ask your house cat to open her mouth. And you will, <laughs> if you got a pair of canines that look like that, with these big long daggers hanging from the, from the top and sticking out from the bottom, then you go to any butcher shop, get a big slab of steak, walk out on the curb, rip the paper off, argh, just, just go at it, you know. Uh, if, you're, if you're a true carnivore, those kind of teeth uh, are for raw flesh. But that's not who we are. This is for biting into apples, into, into starchy roots, into carrots. That's what our short little canines are, are about. Um, and these flat grinding molar teeth and this rotary jaw clearly tell us whether we are uh, for, for, di for processing plant material. That's what we are set up for. We don't have claws. On it. We've got fingers for picking fruits and, and, and cracking open squashes and nuts, etc. So... Um, to thine own self be true. And people say, we, you know, we, well, we adapt to eating meat. No, we don't. That's what these diseases are about. 
Um, we we are we've got we're a plant burning creature. You know, you're a gasoline burning car engine. You could put a couple of drops of diesel fuel of kerosene in your gas tank. Nothing much will happen. You could put a couple more kerosene there. Yeah, it might run a little rough. A little more kerosene. Now it's coughing and spitting. And a little more kerosene. Now black smoke's coming out of the back. A little more kerosene. And, uh, and finally the engine ceases up and stops. It was never not a gasoline burning engine. It didn't adapt. The, the problem is it didn't adapt. That's what you were looking at is non-adaption of the wrong to the wrong fuel. And that's what a meat-based diet is. It's putting diesel fuel in a gasoline-burning engine. We are herbivorous burning creatures. And, and to think that we're, they're, they're we're these flesh-eating apes, that's not who we are. And it's going to spawn diseases in our bodies. And I think they'll find out the hard way. Oh, okay. Next thing I'll just touch on for a second before K2 would just be dairy. And we've spoken about it a lot, but if you're a first time listening and you haven't heard, let's just talk about dairy because everyone's been taught over and over again, dairy is good for our bone health. Osteoporosis here in Australia, we talk about in the media, it's always, you know, take your caltrate, (laughs) have your dairy, have your cheese, have your yogurts every day. All the kids have to, you know... Um, and over in America, I know it's much the same and same in Britain that drink, eat all the dairy you possibly can for strong bones. So please, can you just debunk that myth for the, for the millionth time? But I, I never get sick of hearing it. <laughs> sure. Well, start with the fact that osteoporosis is not a disease of calcium deficiency. That's not what the disease is. Americans and Australians eat more calcium than anyone else on planet Earth. If it was a calcium disease, a deficiency disease, you wouldn't see it in your country nor mine. And the truth is it's rampant in, in our countries because that's not what the disease is. To make a long story, yes, you need some calcium, but only about 500 milligrams. Easily get that out of dark green leafy vegetables. Um, uh, but that's not what the disease is. Uh, the reality is that we've adopted a sedentary lifestyle and our bones are dissolving just like our muscles are atrophying. Um, uh, we sit all day. We sit when we eat. We sit when we work. We sit when we do everything. And uh, and our bones are dissolving. Uh, osteoporosis is largely disuse atrophy of the bones. Uh, yes, it's made worse by a lousy diet of too much protein, too much salt, too much sugar, too much caffeine, etc., but it's basically we've stopped carrying weight. We used to spend all days gathering firewood. We're working in the garden. Uh, we used to be physical creatures, and it kept our bones strong. But as we sit day after day, our bones are dissolving. And, and you want to build your bones up. Then you get a little weighted vest off Amazon. You grab a couple of little hand weights, and you take a, take a good 30-minute walk with a weighted vest and a couple of hand weights every day. You'll see that bone density go up because you're using your bones against gravity. That, that's how you reverse osteoporosis. It's not by sitting and taking calcium tablets, and it's certainly not by drinking the milk of a cow. Uh, we have no more need for the milk of a cow than we do the milk of a giraffe. Now, w- would you drink kangaroo milk, wombat milk, platypus <laughs> milk? What, I love your the- Aussie references so really? much. Well, what is <laughs> platypus milk. milk. <laughs> really? I mean, well, what is, why do we think that cow milk has some magic to it? it it's, it's, it's baby calf growth fluid. It's meant to turn a 65-pound calf into a 700-pound cow as rapidly as possible. It's filled with estrogens and growth hormones and, and sugars that, uh, that may set off ovarian cancer in women, the lactose sugar. Um, 
it's 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 for baby calves, just like baby like rat milk is for baby rats and fox milk is for baby foxes or cow milk is for baby calves. But we have no more need for it, as I said, than the milk of an ox. The um, <clears throat> the calcium. When you think about it, cows don't drink milk. Where do they get all the calcium? It comes from the green plants. That's where the calcium really comes from. It, uh, it comes from the grass they're eating all day. It's in the soil, and the green plants take up the calcium, and the cows eat the grass. Well, that's why us vegans should be having big plates of chard and broccoli and Brussels sprouts and cow. That's where the calcium is. It's in the green plants. So we don't need the milk of a cow. Get it out of, out of the greens. And there's calcium-fortified oranges, all sorts of ways to get calcium. But to think you need... To, to drink the milk of a cow and to get all this cancer-promoting IGF-1 hormone and all the estrogen. The cows are pregnant, and so they're full, so the milk is full of estrogen. It makes women get breast lumps and, and fibroids in their uteruses. Just to get a little calcium, it's just bizarre. You have, have some broccoli. Have some, some kale or some chard. Get your calcium that way. So um, we uh, I've seen so many conditions getting better. Go ahead. It's so interesting that you mentioned fibroids because on the weekend, I hope that they never listened to this, but they, they won't. They didn't seem very interested. But I was sitting with a whole with a group of women all talking about issues with their uteruses and one of them in particular talking about fibroids and growing fibroids and having to have a hysterectomy. Now, she was only a year older than me. And I was thinking the whole time she was talking and they were talking, I was thinking, oh, because they were eating sausages and cheese and rissoles. And I was sitting there looking at them thinking, oh, my gosh, all of you are having hysterectomies and this woman's got fibroids. And I was just I just I didn't say anything because I didn't want to lose immediate friends. (laughs) So I just sat there silently. But I was just thinking, oh, my gosh, it's the food. It's the food. It's the food. (laughs) Really? Absolutely. These are. Uh, the hor- the uterus is a hormone responsive muscle. When a woman's pregnant, you see what nine months of estrogens do to her her uterus. Well, when she's not pregnant, but every day she's eating milk and cheese and ice cream and yogurt filled with with these growth promoting estrogen. With these with these the cows are pregnant. They uh, they put out in their milk estrone, estradiol, estriol, pregnenediol, progesterone. All these powerful growth promoting female hormones are in the milk. And then some of it has to show up in the yogurt and the cheese and the ice cream. And, and if you're bombarding your uterus with these growth-promoting estrogens month after month, year after year, can you be shocked when it starts, when the uterus starts sprouting out these tumors of, of muscle uh, that are called fibroids? But you don't know how many – I don't think they do a lot of hysterectomies for fibroids in rural China or in rural Vietnam where they don't consume the dairy – I'll bet you their their hysterectomy rate is way lower. Uh, I think uh, uh, under the uh, under the fear of not getting enough calcium to be consuming all these dairy products, and then when all these breast lumps sprout out and all these uterine fibroids sprout out, we can't say, well, there's no connection. I think there's a very strong connection. And again, we're not baby calves. I tell people, go in the bathroom, look in the mirror. If, you, if, you've, got, if you've got whiskers and a big, big ears <laughs> and a tail, if you're a baby calf, cool, then enjoy your yogurt. But if you're not, 
then they don't be eating baby calf growth fluid. There's a safer place to get your calcium. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope that clears that up for everyone for the first and last time or the millionth and last time because you actually gave me so much more stuff I'd never even thought about. So it was it was great to hear your version of that calcium dairy myth explained. It was great. So thank you. So now on to K2. Now, I don't know if anyone knows that much about K2 because I didn't before I had my son and they gave him the vitamin K shot. And that's Mm -hmm. when we started to learn about vitamin K. And I just wanted, obviously the K2 is the part that we find as vegans hard hard to get, but I would love to hear what you could, if you could explain what K2 is and does for people and how we get it. Um, in general, or as vegans especially? Sure. Okay, so uh, vitamin K, um, the the letter K is there because it's the first word of the German word coagulation, which is uh, blood coagulation. And vitamin K um, is absolutely essential for your blood clotting. Where does it come from? It turns out that microbes in our gut make this stuff. Uh, every time you cut your finger and your and the bleeding stops, say thank you to your gut microbes for making vitamin K. They make the vitamin K largely out of what's in dark green leafy vegetables. That's the substrate that the microbes make the vitamin K out of. Well, it turns out there's two forms of vitamin K, vitamin K1, vitamin K2. Vitamin K1 is this one I mentioned that is important for blood clotting, uh, phytodione. Amenodione is vitamin K2, and its its role is different. Uh, I'm sure it has probably dozens of subtle roles in the body, but one is to take calcium that comes from our food and winds up in our bloodstream. You want that calcium to go into your bones, and everyone says, well, of course. But calcium is used in hundreds of reactions in the body. It's used in in muscle contraction, heart muscle contraction included. Um, It's used in blood clotting. can't clot your blood without blood calcium. And so keeping the right amount of calcium in your blood is important. But you don't want too much calcium because if there's too much calcium, it starts depositing out in tissues all over the body. And you wind up calcifying tissues you don't want to calcify, like your artery walls, like your tendons, like your bursa. You want calcific tendonitis. So the body, and that's one reason why you don't want to be taking calcium tablets. Oh, I'm going to make my bones stronger. No, calcium is a dumb mineral. You think it's going to magically go to your bones, but it doesn't. It deposits out in tissues all over the body, and you can wind up causing problems by calcifying your artery walls, etc. Well, vitamin K2, one of its roles is that it steers calcium. Out, instead of going to the arteries, it steers it into your bones. And so, yay, um, it helps to build strong bones and it helps to prevent bad artery calcification. So some vitamin K2 is important stuff. Um, my understanding is that the, your gut bacteria, they make vitamin K2 as well. Not as much, but you keep eating those greens and and be nice to your gut bacteria. Um, and I'm talking, you know, we, we do things to injure our gut flora. Um, we drink alcohol, we drink wine, we drink, um, uh, we drink beer. Well, in the hospital, we dip our surgical instruments into alcohol 
to kill bacteria, you know, and there are people are drinking this stuff. Ooh, lowers my cholesterol. I'll drink some more alcohol. Well, your gut bacteria don't care about your cholesterol. They just know this big slosh of antibacterial alcohol just came down uh, and, and killed off a bunch of them. So if you're trying to build strong bones, don't be killing off your gut flora with alcohol. Um, think about the uh, antibiotics in chicken and uh, foods if you're a meat eater. Uh, there are um, antibiotics that people take randomly for sore throats and colds that are viruses. Don't be doing that. It kills off your good gut bacteria. Consider um, uh, getting the chlorine out of your drinking water, either with a uh, reverse osmosis filter or just letting the water stand out there. But chlorine is another ass assaulter of, uh, of your gut bacteria, pesticides on foods. Um, modern life's an assault on our gut floor. You, but uh, if you if you don't be doing those kind of things and you eat a lot of green vegetables, um, I think you're going to spawn enough microbes in your gut that make both K1 and K2 that you're not going to uh, suddenly be deficient in K2. Uh, it hasn't happened throughout history. Oste seriously, osteoporosis is keep your bones strong by using them. If you're doing physical work every day. Uh, and eating lots of green vegetables, there's no reason your bones should should suddenly become osteoporotic. So, Dr. Clapper, if you've had, just as a mother, if you've had, we're, we're raising, um, I remember my brother-in-law saying to me once about raising my kids, he's very of the Western price model of eating, and he was saying to me, well, because I became an ethical vegan after, after I got MS and went plant-based, and he was saying, well, your kids, according to Western Price, you know, the jaw, jaw deformities and teeth deformities and the bone deformities and, and that what I'm doing is, you know, this experiment that I, he hopes that I'm happy with risking my child's bodies for on, on, mm -hmm. on, on, a, on an experimental way of eating. And, and so you say, oh, so I'm saying that what I was going to ask is, in a roundabout way he, that came into my head was for young people, like I guess most, most of us are practice, practicing on adults, but for young people who are more fussy and it's hard, sometimes harder to get the leafy greens in, what would you advise for, for parents of toddlers and young people who are, might be concerned about, well, K2 especially and bone, and bone health with young people? Right. Well, firstly, there's a, a vast literature, and I'd invite uh, uh, all parents of young kids, uh, Google raising vegan infants, raising vegan children. There's lots of moms and dads who've written some wonderful books and articles on how to do this. Uh, and there, you breastfeed that child till, you know, ideally for a year, uh, up to 18 months. Uh, and then as they start eating solid foods, there's ways to uh, uh, to use a baby food grinder and uh, your blender to, to, to put in the applesauce and the uh, uh, and the uh, grind up the greens and, uh, and there's ways to, to get calcium rich foods into the into the child. We don't want to spend a lot of time on doing that. But there's certainly a way to do it. But I just want to mention that I delivered my first vegan baby in 1973. That child grew up, married another you know, vegan woman. They had a vegan child. Watched that child grow up. I've I've watched three generations of vegan kids grow up now. They do not have jaw deformities. They turn into tall, lovely, healthy, bright adults uh, who have healthy, bright kids who do not have defective teeth and receding jaws and all that stuff. This doesn't happen. Uh, and again, do Google vegan teenagers and click. 
click images and look at these lovely people around. Uh, thank you. My kids look great too. They're seven and yeah. three and they've been all vegan since birth and they've got beautiful teeth and they look amazing and they're strong and tall and great. But I just thought I'd mention it for people who have that relative. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Everyone's but got one. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But again, it's a baseless fear. These kids grow up because it's our natural food. We aren't, yeah, you don't see gorillas going in a pack hunting you know, wildebeest or impalas or whatever. They're not hunting flesh-eating creatures, and neither are we. We are plant-gathering, uh, tuber-pulling, uh, fruit-harvesting primates. That's who we are. We are not. It's okay not to give a child animal flesh. That really is uh, it's our natural way of eating, not to do that. Go ahead. So with young, just back to just with on, on the same topic as young people, uh-huh. because young people, right. my son, for instance, they go to school with other uh-huh. young people and they're yep. exposed uh-huh. to kids who want to eat all the lollies, junk food, sweets, yep. Yep. horrible foods that we don't want our kids to eat. And, you know, I have tried my best to – I don't want him to – be desperate for those foods by making them a taboo. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want to make uh, yeah, make sure, all, yeah. all vegan yeah. sweets a no-go. But when you're talking about their gut microbes, you know, if he has a lollipop, the occasional lollipop or the occasional bit of bread, like a like he has sourdough bread sometimes, is that going to damage his gut enough to make it so he's not going to absorb that K2, make that K2? No, definitely not, definitely not. Everything in moderation. <laughs> 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 uh, big wink. Uh, yeah. Big wink. He's uh, winking very big. Uh, you can't see him. <laughs> uh, no, the, the reason I'm saying this in all seriousness, we found out how stable the gut microbiome is. And unless you cloud it with, with big antibiotics for a long period of time, uh, an occasional meal or whatever, um, you you get the standard healthy whole plant food, plant-based uh, dietary stream reestablished after the sugary, fatty thing, whatever, and and you and uh, the good guys just reestablish themselves pretty much within 24, 48 hours. You're back to the same gut microbiome balance. It's really there's a remarkable stability in it. So no, the occasional lolly or whatever is not going to not going to really do anything serious. Okay, excellent. Whew, okay, I'm breathing a sigh of relief from mothers and fathers <laughs> everywhere, and parents and carers Absolutely. and all those things. Thank Absolutely. you. Yeah. That's wonderful. And now the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, oh, I guess we'll just start by just talking about the actual work you're doing now. How's that going and how is it, how is it being received in schools and how do you, and universities, how do you get in when people have had their blinkers on for so long? Important question. And thank you for asking. Um, after uh, a long career in, in very active nutritional medicine and seeing how powerful a plant-based diet is in reversing these diseases, uh, I realized my beloved medical profession is woefully, shamefully uh, behind the times um, as far as not using this powerful tool uh, that's uh, sitting right in front of us. And we spend literally trillions of dollars in Western societies treating clogged arteries and diabetes and high blood pressure and obesity from what our patients are eating. And yet uh, my colleagues uh, uh, spend their careers managing symptoms 
uh, and not getting to the root of the problems. And it's beyond embarrassing. Real people are getting real strokes that could have been avoided. Real people are getting real heart attacks. They're getting real autoimmune diseases, real cancers that could have been avoided if their doctor had told them um, the, the truth about their food. And But we but doctors, we are not taught anything about nutrition in, in school. We don't have respect for for the subject, it's a sissy science. I let the dietitian deal with that. I'm a surgeon, man. I I don't have time for for nutrition. And ironically, they're going to spend the rest of their career up in the operating room at three in the morning dealing with the infections and the infarctions and the amputations from what their patients are eating. They're going to spend their their career dealing with nutritionally based diseases uh, for, as they dismiss it. And finally, the worst, of course, they're eating the same junk themselves. They're eating their burgers and their pizzas, and they're not going to tell their patients not to eat it and then you get that sad spectacle of the surgeon with a big pot belly taking his statins and his lisinopril and uh, and on the same medicines that his patients are on and 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 that's that's not an effective way to uh, to get your patients better with that kind of example so um so uh, it's time to create a nutritional awakening among the medical profession. It is, and I'm so glad you're doing it. <laughs> and so so what we're doing is this. The campaign is called Moving Medicine Forward. I invite uh, your listeners to go to my website, drclapper.com. It's all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-L-A-P-E-R.com, 1P and Clapper. Go to Moving Medicine Forward, and you'll see that uh, um, with your support, I, I'm going around to the medical schools, and the administration, they don't want to hear from me. I'm a troublemaker because uh, I disrupt their model. But um, the but thank heavens for the Internet, and that is 2018, because in every first and second and third year medical school class, there's now 20, 30, 40 students who've seen films like Forks Over Knives. They've seen What the Health. They've seen Eating You Alive. They know, you know the light's on. The, the cat's out of the bag. They know that it's the food. And so they form a nutrition interest group uh, and they talk about nutrition-based cases and nutrition books uh, related to nutrition. And it's that group who invites Dr. Clapper in uh, to give a lecture. They uh, reserve the lecture hall. They put up the notices around campus. They arrange for the food from the local Indian restaurant and they put on the event. And so we go right in and, and, uh, and go to directly to the students. We just do an in run around the administration. But that said, there's always some members from the staff. Again, we've been getting between 75 to 150 medical students, dietary students, nursing students, but always in the back, there's a few surgeons and cardiologists sitting there. And come one, come all, they're welcome. And, and I give them the lecture I wish someone had given me 50 years ago and told me that, that you're not going to be seeing smallpox and typhoid fever. You're going to be seeing obesity and clogged arteries and diabetes and what your patients are eating. And before you order another $1,000 scan, another $500 blood test battery, stop. Ask your patients what they ate yesterday. And if the litany comes out of buffalo wings and burgers and egg McMuffins, that's all you need to know. That's why they're sitting in front of you with clogged arteries and inflamed joints and broken out skin. Send my colleagues, well, I don't know, I don't know anything about nutrition. I don't have time to do diet counseling. You don't have to, doctor. There's now plant-based dietitians who will be glad to do that counseling for you. But you've got to make that connection. You've got to understand 
that I didn't go into medicine to manage chronic diseases. I went in to cure people. And all these diseases are curable. The type 2 diabetes is curable. The, the hypertension is curable. The obesity is curable. All of us, and I tell these skeptical doctors in the back of the room, all of us docs who practice lifestyle medicine and we focus in on a healthy diet, all of us, we have stables full of patients who used to have high blood pressure, used to have diabetes, who used to have Crohn's disease, used to have lupus, who used to have, all these diseases go away. And to withhold this information from your patients you know, is, is unethical. And, and it's a loaded word, but the American Medical Association's statement of ethics in 1980 says physicians shall keep up with the latest scientific advances and share this information with our patients. We are mandated to, with, to tell or show this to our patients. Withholding it is unethical in, in, in a literal sense. So, so can I just interrupt because yeah. I love what you're saying and I think it's – I love that you're out there doing this work and sharing this message and, and, and holding people, doc- doctors especially, accountable for basically Absolutely. putting a Band-Aid on, a hu- on, on, you know, on disease, chronic diseases and saying off you trot now with your statins and your insulin and all those things for the rest of your life. But what I wanted to say is when I say this to a lot of my friends, if I, I, so I don't talk about this in my non-vegan groups because it just goes down like a lead balloon. And, I, and I'm sure that you... So I just sit there politely and if I have to socialize with non-vegans, then I, I just don't mention it too much unless they ask me. But when I do mention it, I know a lot of people think that this is... And I... And people talk about it, even in the vegan community, often talk about when you're talking about referencing health, um, the impact on health in the vegan community, often they'll say it's pseudoscience and it's woo-woo and it's for tin hat wearers. And so what do you say when you get those people in the back of the audience saying, where's, you know, there's no, there's no double blind studies that prove this to be a thing and I'm not going to talk about it unless there is. What do you say? Right. Yes. It's 2018. That's what I just said. Every, there's now the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Every primary care physician practicing plant-based medicine have, has, we have dozens and dozens of patients who used to the before and after pictures. It's become trite already to see this big fat man or woman on 14 drugs with hypertension, metformin, diabetes, and they go on a plant-based diet and ooh, 18 months later they're lean and trim and they're off their meds. It's become a commonplace. It's not an issue anymore. These people are fat and sick from what they're eating. Clean up their diet, they become lean, healthy people. It was published in the prestigious medical journal called Duh. You know, uh, really, uh, what, is, what is there not to, to be, what is there to be skeptical of? These people are fat and sick from, from eating lots of meat and dairy and oil and sugar. You get them on a whole food plant-based diet, they turn into lean, healthy people with open arteries. It's not an issue. It's not woo-woo anything. It's science. It's the truth. <laughs> and and, if they, and you, you can't hold weight on rice and beans and greens and fruits and vegetables. You become lean and healthy. And that's just the truth of it. You want to fence with me, you can, but you're, you're, science and, and the truth is not on your side, doctor. And you can huff and haul all you want, but your patient's... You're going to wind up getting sued, doctor, for wrongful death. You're going because it's just a matter of time before an angry widow walks into the office of a cardiologist or cardiothoracic surgeon, 
says, my husband died on that operating table last month during a four-vessel bypass, and nobody told us that he could have melted that plaque out of his arteries with a plant-based diet. When did you people know this? Why didn't someone tell us this? Why was this information withheld from us? Why was this not on the informed consent? Uh, But before before he signed up for this, why did it not say, oh, and a plant-based diet will reverse this? Why was that not there? And that's exactly what we're doing. I'm working with Dr. Kim Williams, the immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology, to get the American College of Cardiology to mandate that a plant-based diet is part of the informed consent, that you at least owe it to your patients and and to to all of your patients, the the endocrinologist dealing with the diabetic, the rheumatologist dealing with the autoimmune folks, the gastroenterologist dealing with the colitis people. They all owe their patients a one-page handout that says, by the way, if you adopt a whole food plant-based diet, your colitis is probably going to go away. Your hypertension is probably going to go away. Your diabetes is probably going to go away. These diseases will go away. To withhold that information is unethical. Whether they do it or not, that's up to them. But you at least owe them because one out of three is going to change. And they oh, they never change their diet. They do, doctor. I did. It's, it's 2008. You bet. They do now. It's getting out in the zeitgeist. And that's why you and I, uh, Corinne, are practicing medicine right now. Because this is the most powerful kind of medicine because this is how you change a society. And people will hear this broadcast, and some of them are going to get go to my website. Some are going to get Forks Over Knives. Some are going to get Dr. Gregor's books. They're going to make those changes. You'll never hear from them, but they're going to do it because society's changing. You can't, you know, talk about an idea whose time has come. Uh, you know, you so you can't keep a hat pin in a cloth bag for very long. You know, the point comes out. You know, and this is the truth of it. And people want to be healthy, and they don't want to be taking these pills, and they don't want to die early. And uh, this is the this is it's the time has come for this. I'm so excited by this. I was talking to Eric Adams. He is the president of Brooklyn Borough in the States. No, I don't oh, know. yes. Oh, interesting man. He cured his diabetes with a plant-based diet. He did. And he, I was talking to him yesterday, and he is such a great man. Great spirit. Great spirit. He's just, and he just, he says, I said to my husband, I said, I just wish I could be, he makes me feel like I can't host, hold a conversation because he's just so passionate and well-spoken and committed and I feel I felt I hung up just thinking wow I wish that I had just an ounce of his charisma in spreading this message but he was talking about all the work he's doing and how you know the work he wants to do in his community and in spreading it globally about getting this message out there and to schools and hospitals and and he was talking about Californian Mm-hmm. California wanting to put a lawsuit in schools for selling processed meats. I'm not sure if that's exactly right. Yes, right. Pull the right. Pull it out of hospitals and out of schools to to get to why feed your child a carcinogen at lunchtime. We agree. Yeah, starting to happen. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so no, it's exciting times. It's really exciting times, and your work educating doctors like this is this is the stuff that needs to happen. You know, having people like yourself going out there and saying yes, and and pushing back like you say. You know, you can't have a sword fight about this is facts. Like you know, I couldn't feel my legs ten years ago. <laughs> you know <laughs> why? Why would I want to live like that when I could just eat some Lent dal and beautiful curries and delicious food? You know, and there's so many people out there who 
would make the change. I did, and and nice. D- Eric did, and Amanda did, and Adam did, and there's you know everyone's sure. been on this show. Joyce Hale from the had with lupus, and her jaw melted away, and now she's hiking and you know working with um, the Esselstons and running talks. You know, there's so many people who want to hear this message, but I think your work getting to the to those to that platform of reaching medical students, curious medical students, it's going to have, it is having, and it's going to have such a huge impact on the way medicine is practiced forever, for everyone. That's the object of the exercise. That's why we're doing it. Well, I'm so happy that you are. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for helping to get the word out. So again, it's moving medicine forward. Uh, it's on my website. Uh, we could sure use all the support I've got. We've got to design courses for the young doctors on how to use plant-based nutrition in the clinics. I've got lots of traveling to do. We could sure use some financial support, but we're going to get this word out. It's time for doctors to know that what their patients are eating is uh, is the most important thing to ask because that it holds the key to their cure, and that's why we went into medicine in the first place. Awesome. So that's drclapper.com. Is that right? Yes. Do- yes. Dr. Clapper, D-O-C-T-O-R. K-L-A-P-E-R dot com. And moving medicine forward. I'm going to mention it again at the start and at the end and in the show notes. So don't miss it. Find it. Go find him and look at his work and do whatever you can to support the work of Dr. Clapper because it is so so, so important to for everyone's health. You know, this is 70% obesity rates across you know, it's a lot of chronic disease. Everyone's chronically ill and multiple. I had three chronic diseases when I, in 2008, I had fibromyalgia, multiple sclerosis, obesity, aches, pains, constipation, candida. All of that is gone. You know, I don't live like that anymore. It's a different career and a different life. Really, it's the food. It was the food all along. It was the food all along. So thank you so much. And before we hang up, what are your three biggest tips before we hang up? Right. Um, Have um, start your day with um, with thanks and a and a tall glass of water. Uh, 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 Second, have something fresh. Have a salad every day. Have a big salad every day. You need something fresh and live every day, and. don't eat sugar as a food. Uh, all the flour, baked goods, etc. And and oil is not a health food. So stop the sugar, the oil, and the dairy. Uh, do those three things and uh, laugh that, a lot. Those three are really good. Now, Dr. Clapper has a whole video on oil on YouTube that you can watch. And I was probably that was my actual thing that I've just realized I forgot to ask you. But I've been talking for too long, and I know you have to go. But Dr. Clapper has a video about oil and oil consumption on YouTube that is. An absolute must watch if you're still thinking maybe a little bit of oil because Mediterraneans love oil and it's great. Watch his video because I, I don't want to keep you any longer, but watch his video because it's really great. So just Google Dr. Clapper on oil, and oil and you'll you'll get the video and it's so such a such a well worth the watch. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's called Salt, Sugar and Oil, the Good, the Bad and the Ugly. And, uh, <laughs> appreciate the, uh, appreciate the, the plug. No, it was fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Dr. Clapper. You are so welcome. Thank you for getting this word out. You're a bright light and you're doing important work and uh, it's an honor to uh, to help you in, in these important efforts. And we're all on the same team. Let's make it a more plant-based world and a more loving world and uh, everyone will benefit. Thank you, Dr. Clapper. And if you haven't, if you've forgotten, and at the end, check out Dr. Michael Clapper at 
Michael Clapper MD on social media and at www.drclapper.com for his website and www.drclapper.com forward slash moving dash medicine dash forward for more information about the work he's doing educating medical students across the United States. Thank you all for listening and I will see you next episode. Bye.